0: It was a cinematic masterpiece, the likes of which really hadn't been seen until then. In 60 minutes, you have to climb the tower and rescue the princess. You avoid traps, falling blocks, and you fight the palace guards with your sword. When you run, your character runs. Your weight shifts as you change directions. You dance on the balls of your feet as you fight with your sword. It's one of the first games in which you actually feel like you're, well, a person. 1989's Prince of Persia is the precursor to most of the cinematic action genre, and likely the basis on which games such as Tomb Raider and Assassin's Creed take inspiration from. Today we're going back to the start of the Prince of Persia series, and the development journals from which it came. So stick around and listen as we tell you a tall tale on today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 58th episode of our Video Game Nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look at one title relevant to the current week in gaming history, and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, and what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Today... We're looking back at the original Prince of Persia, originally released for the Apple II on October 3rd, 1989. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who is constantly dueling his own doppelganger, my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, what's it like to always fight yourself?
1: Well, sometimes it hurts, but on the plus
0: side, I always win. <laughs> Do
1: you, though? Well, when I'm fighting myself, there's only me that can win.
0: Uh, well, yeah, and that kind of fits the theme of this, too. So, how's it going? What's uh, I don't think we talked much since the last time we recorded. So, what's new?
1: Uh, not really much of anything. Just another day and another episode.
0: How about yourself? Adopted out another cat, so one less cat in my office. Woo! Woo! Still have... Plenty of foster cats in my office to aggravate the shit out of me. But, you know, one at a time means eventually there will be no more foster kitties. That's a step in the right direction. That it is. So what you've been
1: playing for the past week? Well, this week I was in the car quite a bit. So I did get to do some Let's Go Pikachu. And then I've been playing Diablo 2 as well. And then naturally a little bit of Rocket League. Right on. How about yourself?
0: I have played Rocket League and Diablo, and I can't recall playing anything else aside from, you know, the stupid little idle games I play on my phone when I've got nothing to do. Yeah, I think that's it. I don't think I've started any other big games. I feel like I had like I got this nagging feeling like I did and I'm missing something right now, but I'm like playing through the past week and like nothing. I haven't had time to play games. There's nothing. It's been Rocket League, it's been Diablo, and that's it. It's called a day. But let's not call it a day per se, because we got a podcast to record. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, uh, that we do, Dave. Let's get uh, at it. God, Oh So bad. I'm so bad. Today, we're looking at Prince of Persia, the original Prince of Persia. Have you ever played any of the Prince of Persia games?
1: I recall one, I want to say it was for the GameCube that I played, Um, although I didn't own it, so I didn't really play through it all the way. I have seen playthrough of the original, including the video that you had sent me prior to recording, so I am familiar at least with the original gameplay. Yeah, but other than that, not a whole lot of knowledge from myself on this one.
0: Well, the GameCube version probably would have been the remake in 2003 because GameCube was 2001. So 2003 they rebooted the series as Prince of Persia Sands of Time. It had this really cool rewind feature if you recall.
1: Yep, that that's absolutely the one.
0: Yeah, so that would have been that would have been when they rebooted it. That's that's the second incarnation of the Prince of Persia. Which we'll talk about very briefly, but today we're here to talk about the first incarnation of the Prince of Persia. Well, it's called the Prince of Persia. So Hmm. I know Prince of Persia was created by Jordan Mechner. Jordan Mechner is an American video game designer, author, screenwriter, and filmmaker who was born on June 4th, 1964. Now Jordan Mechner grew up in New York and is said to have earned the money to Buy his first computer, uh, you know, doing odds and ends, selling mad type magazines that he would, you know, illustrate and um, write himself, you know, you know, like every kid. He had a perfectly normal childhood. And then he went off to Yale University, you know, perfectly normal childhood. I guess that's kind of an adulthood at that point, right? A little bit. Yeah. (laughs) So, while attending college courses at Yale, Mechner developed and programmed his first few games that he submitted to be published. Neither of which was successful. Neither of which even really saw the light of day. Neither of them were published. The first of which was a game called Asteroid Blasters. Asteroid Blasters was an asteroid clone. And the other was a game called Death Bounce. That one sounds pretty cool, actually. Yeah, it does. So Mechner was a writer, author, as we said, screenwriter, all this above, and and he was an avid journalist. He actually kept notebooks and he wrote down everything. And one of the really cool things about Jordan Mechner is he's really open about his progress as a game developer. So for instance, about the 30 year anniversary of this game, he published all of his journals, you can actually buy them at these really cool coffee table, hardcover books that have his old sketches, his old journals and his handwriting. Like you can literally go back and watch all his, you know, read all his journaling from the the, the early 19 and late 1980s. And so you kind of get an idea of what he was going through, the problems he was facing. And, and honestly the, the roller coaster, the ups and downs, you know, we don't, we don't often get to see such a, a candid view of development process, I guess more so now than before, because now you have a lot of dev blogs and people record and they stream and they like do YouTube videos because that's, you know, social media is part of it. But back then we didn't have a lot of that stuff. You, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So Mechner's journals are a really rare opportunity to kind of see a little bit of what's going on. Now, one of the other really cool things is, he actually found as part of the anniversary the original source code for the game and he published it as an open source Git library so other game developers could see it and he answers questions about it and everything. Now, this was written for the Apple IIe and it was written written in an assembly language. So it's not... We've talked a little bit about assembly languages before. They're direct inputs to the computer. They're not like go left, go right. Like you had to actually know what you're doing. It's, it's like a language you have to translate. It's a little different than modern languages that are more like you tell it what to do. You know, if you want to draw a square, you write, draw square back with an assembly language. You actually had to tell it to draw every single pixel and you had to know what memory to access to draw. Every single pixel it was a, you were directly connected to the computer and things are a little bit different now. Is that, is that fair? You know, a little bit about assembly languages.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's definitely fair to say that.
0: Okay. So um I, I you know, I I don't do assembly languages. I mean I you know, I first learned on basic, which is more akin to modern languages, and have since learned, you know, C and C sharp and C plus and all the derivatives of that kind of stuff. And so assembly languages just you know, machine languages just aren't my thing. Um, anyways, so yeah, so Jordan Mechner is really open about the process, which is which is really, really cool. And so as part of this discussion today, we're going to kind of look at some of his journal entries as we go along. Um, so for instance, this first one is March 11th, 1982. On March 11th, Jordan wrote, today I worked out a couple of principles that make arcade games fun. First, you have to feel in control of your ship slash car man or whatever so that when you get hit you say oh shit i should have thrusted like asteroids instead of oh well another ship gone i wonder what hit me and he puts Star Castle as an, as an example there second you should be able to control the form of your attacks or in short have a strategy kicks space invaders asteroid or pac-man are examples he wrote next to this Counter examples, Space Firebirds, Scramble, Sneakers. I don't know what Sneakers is. I kind of want to find out after this.
1: Yeah, I've never heard of any of those,
0: I don't think. (laughs) Third, there should be two goals. The primary goal, getting points, should not overlap 100% with the secondary goal, which is clearing screens in this instance. In Pac-Man, for example, you can go for the monsters, or points, or the dots, which is clearing the screen. In Asteroids, the saucers are the rocks. and in Invaders, the ki- creatures are the mystery ship. Whereas in Star Castle, you just go for the cannon. In Galaxian, the aliens, or in Kicks, the area. Interestingly, he finishes, the only games with all of these features are Pac-Man, Space Invaders, and Asteroids, the three number one games right now. So, little little bit of insight. Hmm, smart thinking. I know, right? And see, Jordan was proud of the work he was doing. On March 25th, 1982, he wrote, Work is proceeding. This evening, I added, bounce. Balls and spikes now bounce off your shield. It was quite difficult. I had to take into account angle and conservation of momentum. But I did it with some good ideas from Ben. The game looks so good now. Animation so smooth. Balls zinging around going boing, boing, boing. I really am proud. I can keep up the standard of quality. This will be technically one of the best Apple games of this type ever. Yep, I'm proud of myself. It looks like it might even be done this weekend. But the truth of the matter is, Death Bounce would never be the success he wanted. You know, it was it was it was sent into publishers, but it was it was never published. It never it I mean it may exist now. In fact there's screenshots of it in the, the journals, but it, it never saw the light of day as a published game. Jordan Mechner's success would come on the heels of his next major project Karateka so he first wrote about Karateka on July 7th 1982 in which he wrote today I didn't do anything because my mind was occupied with karate game I worked out with David's advice an awesome system using one joystick and a keyboard to control Karateka and an elaborate combat system to determine what effects your blows have on your opponent and vice versa So Karateka is a 1984 martial arts action game in which the player controls an unnamed protagonist attempting to rescue his love interest from a castle fortress. It's known as one of the earliest martial art fighting games, and it was inspired by film study classes he took, along with vintage Disney animation. So Jordan Mechner used a Super 8 video camera to film footage of his friends, family members, and karate instructor, and then he used a process called rotoscoping to turn it into an animation that was found in his video game. So rotoscoping is an animation technique in which animators trace over motion picture footage frame by frame to produce realistic action. Rob, do you know, have you ever used rotoscoping or are you familiar with rotoscoping?
1: hmm can't say that I am myself. No, I mean, I, it sounds familiar, but I, I don't think so.
0: So rotoscoping was used very much in early Disney animation. So take Snow White and the Seven Doors, for instance. They filmed live actors and then took the film and they sketched over it onto the animation frames to make the animation. And this is essentially what rotoscoping is one of the most famous effects in cinematic history, the glowing lightsaber effect in the original Star Wars trilogy is also rotoscoping. So in that instance, the actors just held sticks while filming and then special effects technicians had to go and trace over each frame line by line, which added the glow effect that you see in the, in the original trilogy. Even if you don't know what rotoscoping is, you've seen it over and over and over. In the case of Karateka, Mechner didn't consider the game as a fighting game. Rather, he saw it as a story-based game where the gameplay mechanic was fighting. Now, I'm not even going to lie, I am very familiar with Karateka. We had it for the Atari, and I loved it. I used to play it all the time. And it was basically a martial arts game, and you, you would run and come up to a guy, and you'd have to, like... You'd each have a certain amount of hits. You could take like eight or ten hits and you would just try to beat them. And when one guy died, you run to the next screen. And in between each guy, like the story would come on. I remember there was a, you know, the princess was in a dark room and the door would open and the light would spill out and illuminate her. And she would like be like defeated or sobbing or something like that. And it would just do that over and over until you got to the end, beat the main guy and beat her, which I really don't know if I ever did. To be honest with you, when you're uh, a kid, you you, games are hard, but we owned Karateka and I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, like I said, I played it a lot. It was a fun game. Probably, probably still, it's probably still somewhere. I think, I don't think we ever got rid of the Atari, uh, unless it flooded and we got rid of the Atari stuff then. Couldn't tell you honestly. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't have the Atari stuff. I don't know where it is. So, but anyway, so Karatika was released and instantly found itself uh, number two in sales on the Billboard sales charts, and it was beat out only by Flight Simulator Two, Sublogic's Flight Simulator, and it beat just beat out F-15 Strike Eagle. Also, to put things into perspective at the time, number four was a text version of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and number five was Microsoft's Flight Simulator. So, I guess when Karatika came out, Flight Simulators were the end thing. You know what I mean?
1: Wow. I mean, crazy to think that those are still around now and still doing as popular as they are. They and are. then Karatika's obsolete.
0: It is and it isn't. It is. Uh, he redid it in 2012. So, there's a modern Karatika out there. But I, I never played it, to be honest with you. So
1: Honestly, I'd never heard of it, so I couldn't tell you.
0: <laughs> it wouldn't stay at number two for very long. It was very quickly a number one bestseller. Um, it's really considered one of the first games to combine arcade action with realistic animation and cinematic storytelling. And for a lot of games in that early period, it, it became the template you know, by which a lot of other early fighting games would follow. So it may not be the one with all the notoriety, but it's definitely the basis. It's definitely the basis for a lot of early fighting games, for sure. One really fun thing about Kiratika that I found out while doing research. So the Apple II floppy disk release had had a little Easter egg to it, Rob. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it was listed as a single-sided disk, you know, single-sided floppy disk, but it actually wasn't. If you put the disk in on the reverse side... There was a full version of the game there, but the whole game was displayed upside down. (laughs) what! So it was originally done as a joke, but people would put the game in wrong and think something was wrong with their computer. And so apparently it prompted many calls to tech support hotlines back in the day.
1: That's actually kind of hilarious. I
0: know, right? I mean, it's the full game. There's nothing wrong with it other than it's displayed upside down. They just inverted the display And yep, that's how you know if you put the disc in backwards. Well, someone had some ingenious thoughts that day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like that they're trolling people even back then. You know, Jordan Mechner pretty much said that he was very fortunate. By the time he graduated from Yale, he had a number one bestseller in Karateka. And that really afforded him a luxury that many other of his friends didn't have he didn't have to go and find a job. You know, Karateko was earning him money and it afforded him the luxury of taking a step back to really decide what he wanted to do. Now, one of the first things he did was he traded in that super eight camera for a VHS camera, which was the new in technology uh, to film the animation for his next game. And he first wrote about that game on August 28th, 1985, a strange thing happened. I started getting images in my head of the characters the Sultan, the Princess, the Boy. I saw scenes in my mind as if they were a Disney movie. So I wrote up a scenario, churned it out in an hour. It came out pretty well, I think. It's just similar enough to Karateka, but more plausible, more intricate, and most important, more humorous. And it was a few months later, on October 20th, 1985, that he wrote in his journal, I videotaped David, his brother, running and jumping in the Reader's Digest parking lot. It'll do for a start. And everything from there is a whirlwind. A few months later, he was moving to California to be closer to Silicon uh, Valley and the filmmaking world. So on September 11th, in his journal, he wrote, met with Gene Lauren and Ed Bassadov, and showed him my Baghdad stuff. Ed B, made a, Ed B. suggested the working title Prince of Persia. The storyline didn't impress them much, but I think they saw promise in it. I really it doesn't really matter a whole lot what they think I'm the one that has to do it, but it sure as hell wouldn't hurt to have them enthusiastic in a few months I should have something to thrill them. I'm starting to get psyched to write this game slowly <laughs> so and that we have it you know he was off to Prince of Persia you know we get we get little we get little bits and pieces you know it was on october twenty first that he wrote today I wrote the first lines of code in the game and so it begins so it's kind of cool. Like he, he pinpointed everything, you know what I mean? Yeah. So Prince of Persia started as an idea from the thousand and one nights, or well, a lot of people call him thousand one Arabian nights, you know, tales that he knew as a kid, but he also took inspiration from other places. In one interview, he said that, you know, early on he envisioned it as being like Raiders of the lost Ark in the beginning of the movie where they're sneaking through the, the palace. And he also took some inspiration from the adventures of Robin hood mechner basically storyboarded the game kind of like how a filmmaker does storyboards for their movies and this is how he managed the level design and the character movements and in the beginning the prince of persia was just meant to be a non-violent character but he worked in an office with a bunch of other programmers and they didn't work together you know this was a singular thing in this for the programming but it was an office that a bunch of programmers shared. They were all working on their own projects, kind of bouncings things off one another. And one such programmer who worked on educational software was a software developer called uh, Tommy Pierce. And every time Tommy Pierce walked by Prince of Persia, she made comments at Jordan that the game was dull and boring and he needed to add combat. But there was a problem. One of the biggest issues of Apple II games was was their memory limitations. I think they had something like 47 kilobytes or 47 K or that would just be bytes. Honestly, 47 bytes of memory to work with Jordan. Basically, once he had programmed the prints and the traps and the levels and the music and everything went in, he had nothing. He had nothing left. There was, he didn't know. He didn't know what he was going to do for combat. Didn't know what he was going to do anything like that. But as he thought about it and he listened to Tommy, he knew that he was going to have to add a villain of some, of some kinds, you know, Jordan may have wanted to be the Prince of Persia versus the traps, but the truth of the matter is, is that that was only so much fun, you know? Right. And so it just dawned on him, him and Tommy were talking one time and it dawned on him. It dawned on him that he could basically execute what's called an either or statement and shift the bites over one in color that would make them inverted. And so as he did this, he basically went from the prince, who is a well-defined white, like wearing you know, a sultan's outfit, donned in white, to a black version of the prince, outlined in white, and this basically looked like a shadow. And so one of the most important characters of Prince of Persia was created called the shadow man. The shadow man is the princess doppelganger. You know, it was one of the other programmers who suggested how it came about, you know, in the middle of the game, at one point you have to jump through a mirror to move forward. It's a magic mirror. And as it, as it, as you jump through it, it creates your doppelganger. And then for the rest of the game, your doppelganger is basically out to try to sabotage you. He drinks your potions. He closes doors on you. Um, he's basically there to mess you up, you know? Right. Um, But, you know, once the Shadow Man was kind of uh, created and Jordan was able to think about the rest of the game in that, he found other ways to simplify it and bang out a few bites. And he was able to add sword play. And therefore we got guards and some more enemies. And the game felt... Pretty complete, basically. But it's just a really interesting moment he talks about in a few interviews, which I'll post on our website and the show notes. If you want to go to memorycardlane.com, I'll post links to his early preview copies of his journals. You can look at some of his I'll I'll post a few of his interviews. I'll I'll post that if you want to do a little bit more digging. But um, it's really fascinating how he talks about the process, how it just kind of came like that. And and that that was it. It came to him and the game came together. And then here we are. Suddenly it's October 3rd, 1989. And Prince of Persia gets released to the world. You know? Absolutely. So, Rob, I know you said you didn't play this. This is a little further back and harder to find. But I did send you a complete walkthrough of the game. Yep. And so you had an opportunity to sit and watch someone else play the game. Sure did. What are your impressions? Like, t- tell me what you think of, like, t- talk to me about, talk to me about the game
1: well it seems to be a platformer that's plain and simple (laughs) you have a little bit of combat in the game obviously with the swords and it looks like you can i guess parry or just block but for the most part it's just platforming and getting through all of your jumps and jumping over things and not getting hit and then after you clear these levels then you eventually get to the end and become
0: prince that's true. It's a platformer, but one of the things that makes Prince of Persia so special is one thing that Mechner was really proud of, and it, it's a the, the rotoscoping. You know, he basically filmed his brother, and then they digitized it. They, they basically he shot, he took the frames apart one by one. He shot them on thirty five millimeter film. He developed the film, and then he like traced it. Onto paper and had to use a digitizer to get it into the Apple II. One of the interviews has the 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 video of the first time he ever got the 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 pixels of the prints of basically his brother. It's the prince to us, but it was his brother. He basically got a working animation of his brother into an Apple II machine, and that's so freaking cool. You know, we we can it's so easy to do that kind of stuff now, but back then that was nothing. Like it was mind blowing. And what's unique is that think about all the platformers we've talked about at this point. Our games like that. You know, we've got Mario Brothers and Pac Man and Donkey Kong. Take for one moment the importance. So, Prince of Persia's movement has weight behind it. When you run, your character, ju- you know, bounces with the running. When you jump, you know your character has weight to it and he he doesn't stop right away and the sword fighting you know you bounce on the balls of your feet you know this is this was the first time we had ever really seen animation done like this you know karateka and then this one and so it was special that's the only way to put it it was special it was an actual cinematic it literally it's the first cinematic platformer it's the first time that we had animation that was akin to what real animation it looks like a person basically you know what i mean do you disagree with the fact that the animation looks real i mean
1: i i definitely think that it looks as real as it could given the limitations of the time it does look pretty decent for 1989, like 1989 yeah 1989 <laughs> it's pretty good for 1989
0: I mean, 1989, man, he was doing this on an Apple IIe in 1989. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not the smoothest animation in the world. I mean, the animations get clunky at times when you're trying to move from, say, running to leaping up and grabbing a ledge. You can leap up and grab a ledge. It's like, I I bet it's probably one of the first games. I didn't even think to look at it. It's probably the first game that you could grab the ledge and pull yourself up. You know, that's a game mechanic that's really standard in platformers now, but I don't think that existed before that game either. You know, probably not. Yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome. It was, it was just, it was awesome, you know. So, the plot that Jordan came up with is that, you know, this game obviously is set in medieval Persia and. You get title cards when you first playing, and basically the plot is the Sultan goes away fighting a war in a foreign land, and while he's away, his vizier Jafar, who is also a wizard, seizes power, and the, his only obstacle to the throne and absolute power over the situation is the princess or the Sultan's daughter. Now you, A.K.A. the, the Prince of Persia, who at the beginning of the game is an unnamed protagonist is in love with the princess and toiling away. You you basically get thrown into the dungeon and Jafar takes the princess, locks her up in a tower and orders her to become his wife. She refuses. And he basically says, look here, I'm going to give you another chance. You can accept within 60 minutes or you die. You die. It's that simple. And so basically you start out as this unnamed protagonist in the dungeons You have to climb 12 levels of this tower to defeat Jafar, get to the, the, get out of the dungeons, get up the tower, you know, rescue the princess before 60 minutes are out, you know? And as Rob said, it's a pretty basic platformer. Rob, what are some of the obstacles that you saw in the game?
1: Well, you had the spike pits, you had the falling tiles, um... You had the levels you had to jump up or down to get to. And then yeah.
0: enemies. I don't yep. think I think that was it. Yeah, that's it. You know, at one point you find a sword and then you have sword play. Oh, the yep. rotoscoping for the swords is pretty cool. Uh, Jordan Mechner basically used like six seconds from the 1959 Adventures of Robin Hood with uh, Errol Flynn and I can't remember whom. But he basically took those six seconds of the movie towards the end when they're in perfect sword fighting form and he rotoscoped those six seconds to make the sword play you fight in the game. So nice, but you know, the game does a really good job, it builds upon itself. You know, you get that sword, you have sword play in stage four, you got to jump through the magic mirror. Magic mirror creates the shadow, the shadow man, your doppelganger, who basically becomes your nemesis throughout the rest of the game. You know, and that adds a level of complexity. And then you meet up with the doppelganger again at the end of the game, you know. And that's one of my favorite parts of the game. little spoiler here. But as you get to the end of the game, you meet your doppelganger again. And you're intertwined in sword fighting. And you can't get past him because it's you. Like, it's a mirror image of you. You're not going to defeat you. And so you put your sword away. He puts his sword away. And then you walk together and merge to become one. And that's such a simple, poignant concept that is simple and cool. That's it. It's simple. It's cool. And I think it's meaningful, you know, um, when it comes to this. But it's not it's not it's something you have to think about, too, because, you know, you spent the whole game fighting everything. And now here you have to fight this bad guy because he's a bad guy. And you got to wrap your head around the fact that uh, you got to wrap your head around the fact that you you don't need to fight yourself anymore. You, You know what I mean? absolutely it's just it's it's my favorite part of the game you know and there's other little fun things in level eight you get locked behind a gate you can't open and the princess sends a little white mouse out to hit the the witch Macaulay and save you and then of course at the end you fight jafar you beat him you know and if you're within 60 minutes you know you rescue the princess and you become the prince of persia you get the title at the end of the game except The SNES version was 120 minutes. They did some longer levels. Made it harder. Because of the increased difficulty. You had 2 hours. But the original game you only had 60 minutes. So if you've never had a chance to play this game. It's not a big investment. It's an hour. It's an hour. In fact the video I sent Rob. Was a 37 minute playthrough. And the guy was not a speedrunner. It was a very reasonable. It was a very reasonable playthrough. So it's you know 45 minutes to an hour of your life and i think it's well worth it cuz it's really super cool to see where this genre started you know
1: absolutely dave
0: but yeah so you're right though it's a it's a simple platformer there's there's really not much to it you know right I so agree. rob what what did what did people i'm going to turn over to you at this point so what did people think about prince of persia
1: Well, Dave, Prince of Persia was one of those weird games that critics liked, but its critical success didn't really turn into commercial success. For instance, Charles Ardai of Computer Gaming World stated that the game's package claims that it would break new ground with animation so uncannily human it must be seen to be believed was true. He wrote that Prince of Persia succeeds at being more than a running, jumping game because it captures the feel of those great old adventure films, citing Thief of Baghdad, Frankenstein, and Dracula.
0: Cool.
1: Ardai concluded that it was a tremendous achievement in games comparable to that of Star Wars in film.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see that. Like I said, it was it was the first time it it was it was cinematic, you know, and that was that was something special at the time.
1: Right. Well, in 1991, the game was ranked the 12th best Amiga game of all time by Amiga Power. In 92, the New York Times described the Macintosh version as having brilliant graphics and excellent sound. Sure, you could do all this years ago on a Commodore 64 or Atari 400, but those games never looked or sounded like this. But initially, it only sold 7,000 units each on the Apple II and IBM PC when it was originally released. It wasn't until later in the year when it was released in Europe and Japan that it really started to take off. After that, it was pretty much ported to everything. And by the time the sequel was made in 93, it exceeded 2 million copies sold worldwide.
0: Yeah, it's really funny. If you go back and you, well, I mean, interviews, I'll post them on the website. If you go back in the interviews, you know, Jordan talks about this, how the problem was that this was the tail end of the Apple II lifespan. He was worried as he was working on it that he was going to miss that window, and he did. For all purposes, he did. That's why it sold so pearly, because by the time it came out, people had already moved on to home consoles. You know, this was 89. Home consoles and other types of computers. But one of the really fascinating things that he brings up is when it started to get ported to other systems and gain steam and become popular, he knew that he had done it right. Because one of the most important things with how he designed the game was he had to design it with limitations. You know, the Apple two was very limited in its memory. We talked about that. And so he had to be very specific when how, how he made it. And the other machines didn't have those memory limitations and the game was popular you, you know what I mean like it he didn't need to take all those extra memory or graphics or anything like that like the, his his core game design was great and that translated to a good game no matter where that game was taken to if that makes sense I think so Dave and it was good I mean like it did look better you know every version got better graphics you know they improved it it looks good on the NES it looks better on the SNES you know there are uh, you know I, i'm pretty sure i sent you not the the apple 2 version but the ibm pc version which is slightly looks a l- little bit nicer too so yeah i mean it, it 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 did a good job and like it said it sold it sold 2 million copies worldwide so uh, it did really well which for its time period 2 million copies is is not so
1: yeah that's pretty good
0: so let's talk about let's talk about what prince of persia became, you know, and I'm going to start that by talking about Jordan Mechner himself. After Prince of Persia, there was a sequel in 1993. Prince of Persia 2. I can't remember its name right now. Sorry, guys. Someone's going to scream it. Excuse me. Someone's going to scream at me online for that. Prince of Persia 2 would come out while he was working on the sequel. He also went to film school in New York and he earned a certificate in film. After Prince of Persia 2 came out, Mechner founded Smoking Car Productions. Smoking Car Productions would go on, to, along with Mechner, to develop a CD-ROM adventure game called The Last Express, which honestly we'll have to do an episode on that because it's still one of the pinnacles of the adventure genre at its time. And then that kind of takes us to where we started the episode so far. In 2001, Mechner would get together with Ubisoft to reboot the franchise, and in 2003 prince of persia the sands of time was released and mechner worked as a game designer writer and creative consultant on that game and that would be the one that you are familiar with rob and i actually also own it i think i actually think i own it on gamecube Hmm. i own it on something i may own on xbox i don't know they were good games now, the Prince of Persia game hasn't stopped since then. You know, there have been four more Prince of Persia sequels. There have been multiple spinoffs. Mechner hasn't been involved with the Ubisoft line past the first one. But, I mean, the series has kept going. Um, and then come we come to 2010. In 2010, Jordan Mechner became the first video game creator to successfully adapt his own work as a feature film screenwriter when Disney decided to create the Prince of Persia Sands of Time film, which was a Jerry Bruckheimer film starring uh, Jakey Gyllenhaal. Do you remember the Prince of Persia movie at all?
1: Uh, I can't say that I ever watched it. I remember it coming out. I just never got around to watching it.
0: It was a good good film. It was successful, too. When it came out, it was the highest grossing video game film adaption of all time, and it held that for six years. Do you know what video game adaption knocked it off its pedestal? actually Mm. you can probably name a modern modern one that knocked it off its pedestal we talked about it last week
1: nope i don't know what we talked about last week pokemon i i I don't remember pokemon when we talked about that (laughs) shit (laughs) (laughs) oh that one was too easy dave but i don't know
0: what was the one that knocked it off at first the wow the world of warcraft movie that was, was a movie for that Yeah, there was a WoW movie. It was a big deal in 2016. I clearly was under a rock. That's all right. So yeah, so 2016 WoW beat it. Now there's been other movies, video game adaptions that have have, uh, put more in the bank. Angry Birds, the movie, put more in the bank. Rampage, the movie with The the Rock, which had nothing to do with the game, put more in the bank. And of course, uh, Detective Pikachu, uh, which we talked about last week, put more in the bank. So now it's like the fifth or sixth highest grossing video game adaption of all time. But at the time it was the one still pretty impressive. Yeah. So the last thing we kind of talked about really briefly that Mechner's done in the gaming industry was uh, in 2012, he remade Karatika. It's a little indie project. I think it was a, like a Xbox live studio, like an indie, like, you know, uh, Xbox live arcade title. Or it was, it was something like that um, at the time yeah he did in 2012 and otherwise he's been continuing his work as a author, screenwriter and filmmaker and like we talked about he you know publishes journals he interviews all the time i think the fact that he published the actual source code for prince of persia and he takes the time to answer questions about it is one of the coolest things ever so heck yeah but prince of persia from the legacy standpoint was super important you know it it laid the groundwork for All the early titles in that genre that we haven't really talked about, like Another World and Flashback. Tomb Raider, uh, which is like your resurgence of the action adventure genre, cites it as its influence. And then, honestly, one of the more interesting things that we've never really talked about, because we haven't done an an episode on this yet, but we're going to like it because it's one of our favorite series, is Assassin's Creed. Oh, nice. So Assassin's Creed started out as an idea for a sequel to the Prince of Persia Sands of Time. So basically they wanted to create a sequel, but they wanted to turn it into an open world game while also emphasizing the prince less as the main character. And so they did some research on like secret societies and stuff. And they found their way on the assassins. And in fact, initially the project was called assassins or no Prince of Persia colon assassins. And then at one point they realized that it wasn't going to work as a Prince of Persia game and they turned it into the original Assassin's Creed and the rest is history.
1: Nice.
0: Yeah. Well, I will dig more into that when we do an Assassin's Creed episode. That's, you know, that's, that's that. So, it's an important game. It's not very well known, I don't think. I, I, I don't think it's a huge franchise anymore, but I think it's an important one. And I'm glad that they're still making games in it. In fact, you know, it's been 32 years since the original was released, it's been 18 years since Sands of Time was reinvented for modern audiences. And we were supposed to get a remake of the Sands of Time in 2021. March of 2021, in fact, but earlier this year, they basically said, hey, we need more time to finish this game because we know how important it is to our fans and they have yet to say anything about it. So it may be delayed indefinitely. We may get it again. We may get it in 2022, but there is another Sands of Time, like another reboot in the works right now at Ubisoft. So there you go.
1: Interesting.
0: but Yeah, that's Prince of Persia. It's really fascinating. I, I you don't think about the importance of things sometime and to to take a step back and look at. I mean, the animation is just so amazing for 1989. It just it, the character has weight. Like when he runs, he's got weight to him. When he jumps, he's got weight to him. That is so different from every other game that plays at the time. It's, it's awesome, honestly. I would highly recommend at least watching a playthrough just to kind of see and just, just take a step back and go, this was 32 years ago. This was 32 years ago. This man was working magic, programming magic 32 years ago. That's pretty awesome. Know what I mean?
1: Sure thing, Dave.
0: All right, what do you got? You got anything to add to the Prince of Persia story? Anything that you may have... I sent you some stuff or I, I sent you the video... Have I missed anything? Did you stumble on something that was interesting? Did I not include something that you found intriguing? What you uh, got?
1: Nope you uh, you you pretty much covered
0: everything. Yep, yeah, I don't have anything that you don't. <laughs> well, if y'all would like to go back and watch the reviews, or the interviews, and or the walkthrough videos, you can do so. On our website, I will post links to what I watched for my research and the websites I use for my research on the show notes portion of www.memorycardlane.com. Also on our website at memorycardlane.com, you will find a calendar of upcoming episodes uh, where you could submit your own questions, comments, reviews, etc. You can find our biographies. You can find a link to our Discord if you'd like to join our community. We'll be playing the latter half starting tomorrow. Actually, we'll be playing the Battlefield uh, 2042 open beta you're more than welcome to come and join our squad and play with us join our discord join the community fun times
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: you'll also find links to our patreon if you would like to support our podcast and our social media plugs i am on twitter at david underscore is underscore wrong where i post my rocket league highlights what about you rob what you doing
1: I can be found on twitch.tv
0: forward slash
1: F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z.
0: Awesome. Well, as with every episode, you know, we go back to the beginning. Each week, we try to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world and its legacy. And I gave you plenty of all three today. And so, Roundtable, Rob, what is your biggest takeaway from the Prince of Persia learning experience.
1: I think not even more than just from this game, but something this game used is that rotoscoping. So like I'd heard the term, but I didn't really understand or know what it was. And, you know, it's kind of, it's an interesting thing to know and learn about.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's literally tracing. They took photos and video, you know, still pictures frame by frame, and they trace it on paper and animated that way. That's how. That's how some of your early like Disney films look so realistic. That's it. They filmed it on video and traced over the frames. That's, so yeah, that blows my mind. It's really cool. It, you know, in the case of video, they would draw like on the glass cells and and so on and so forth. And you know, the rotoscoping for special effects is cool. When you have like the hand drawn mats and hand drawn, you know, special effects and. Yeah, rotoscoping is really cool. It's really cool to go back to the interview and see Jordan's like literally the first time he got the 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 first time he got the rotoscoping the running sequence into the computer. It, it's so primitive, but it's so cool to think of how excited he must have been. Like, holy shit! I just got a running person into my Apple computer. You know, you know what I mean. Like. That moment just had to be. I, I remember when, like, my first pro. Every time you learn something new in programming, like, you learn how to animate a rigid body for first person, you know, a rigid body camera for first person viewpoints. Or then you go into third person and you learn how to animate the running animation of a third person. Or even when you're doing 2D work, you learn how to draw and animate. And every time you actually get one of your animations to work correctly and look right, or your bodies to move correctly, it's such a thrilling concept and this man did it 32 years ago in a primitive computer and that's i just i can't get over it to be honest with you i just I can't get over it it's awesome uh and he still gives back you know what i mean like it's not like he kept it all to himself and was like i'm never gonna share with you ever like he literally posted the source code for his, his old game online and you can go and you can go you can go and look right now like we can go right now and look and see what it looks like is a programming code, and I also think that's awesome too. That is
1: pretty awesome, Dave.
0: I forgot that he made Karateka, you know. So that was kind of my thing. It makes a lot of sense, though. They play the same and they sound the same, and so it was really nostalgic for me to be able to go back and go, "Oh, this makes a whole lot of sense now," you know, right? Because they do, like they they really do play and sound the same. The music in Prince of Persia, you, you like and Jordan Mechner's dad. Uh, composed both games so you know his music style is the same in both of them and um, it's just really cool that's all this was this was fun to do this is more technical it was fun to be able to get into someone's journal it was fun to be able to see how he got through with his problem solving it was just a cool blast from the past so yeah alright Rob I'm gonna take it out of here in a moment what would you like to add before I do so
1: Well, as always, just want to take a moment to say thank you to everyone for listening. We do this week by week because we enjoy it, and we're hoping that you enjoy it too. So let us know, and hopefully, we hear from you soon.
0: Awesome. Well, ladies and gents, next week we're all going to pretend that we have legal degrees as we dive into Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. Originally released for the Game Boy Advance in 2001. Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney follows a rookie defense attorney who attempts to clear his clients of any wrongdoing. It's one of the most important visual novel games ever created, and we're going to talk all about it. So, yeah. If you don't know what a visual novel game is, we'll cover that. If you don't know what Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney is, we'll cover that. Pretty sure I still have. In fact, I can see it from here. I still have my original copy of the game. I am familiar with it and excited to talk about it. So join us all again next week as we take a investigative trip down memory card lane. Do the thing.
1: do 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 do, do, do.